This week on Daiwa, we're in Jasper County. A man and his girlfriend are found dead inside a trailer on a ranch they worked on. Welcome to Daiwa, the first Iowa-focused true crime podcast, where there's 99 counties and a murder in every one. These are your hosts, Beth LaValley and Allie Tulin. Okay, we are in Jasper County. What do you know about it, Allie? I know that it's home to Newton, and I think that's about it. <laughs> what about you? <laughs> have you been there? Do you know? I have been to Newton. Yeah. Um, I think I like drove through doing Regbri and that's have just right. driven through many times. Yeah. Yeah, I've been there too. They have a cool drive-in theater, so I've been to the Ooh. Newton Drive-In, and then... My sister taught at Prairie City Monroe, so went there. She doesn't work there anymore, but the school. Okay, nice. So Newton is the county seat of Jasper County, and this is one of my favorite facts. Can you guess what appliance Newton, Iowa is known for? I think I do know this. Is it Maytag? Yeah, it's washing machines. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Ten points. (laughs) So in 1893, Frederick Lewis Maytag arrived in Newton from Illinois. He started a farm equipment company, but then moved on to washing machines. Newton was once called, quote, the washing machine capital of the world. The Maytag family sold the company in 1962, but still owns the farm outside of Newton that makes Maytag cheese. Unfortunately, Maytag closed its manufacturing doors in 2007 after Whirlpool bought Maytag. But the two Maytag buildings are still utilized today. What are your fun facts? Okay, so mine is that the Iowa Speedway is in Newton, Iowa as well. And in the past, the circuit has hosted like IndyCar, NASCAR Xfinity Series, NASCAR Camping Truck Series events, and there are rumors it's a candidate for the NASCAR Cup Series race too. So you can also have a stock car yourself when you're out there. And you can choose packages that let you drive a few laps or go as far as riding along with a professional to do a 50-lap race. And then my fun fact is that Sarah Haynes is from Newton, Iowa, and she's an American TV host and journalist who has been the co-host of The View, Strahan, Sarah and Kiki, and the game show The Chase. She also worked as a correspondent on Today, ABC News, and Good Morning America. Dang, I did not know. Someone that famous came from Newton. Newton, Iowa. (laughs) Yeah. So those are our fun facts. Um, Our murder for today is a cold case, and it's one people may be familiar with, possibly. Um, A couple people recommended this story, and it is a doozy. So today we're covering the Copper Dollar Ranch murders. Our story begins in 1983, and to set the scene, Ronald Reagan was president, the video game Mario Brothers was first released as a Nintendo arcade game in Japan, and the very first mobile phones were introduced to the public. Also, the final episode of MASH airs, and 125 million people watch, which is a record. And in Iowa, Terry Branstad first became governor, who is now the longest-serving governor of Iowa and longest-serving governor in the United States, serving from 1983 to 1999, and then again from 2011 to 2017. So back to the Copper Dollar Ranch. 
At the time, the Copper Dollar Horse Ranch was owned by Hal Snedeker of Newton and was located about five miles northwest of downtown Newton on a gravel road that runs north off of a surfaced road known as the Isaac Walton League Road. I don't think the ranch still exists today, though. So on March 3rd, 1983, Jeff Ellingsworth, who was an employee at the Copper Dollar Ranch, was headed to water and feed the horses on the ranch when he found two bodies. Jeff's co-worker, Stephen Fisher, was living in a trailer on the property at the time and was dating Melissa Gregory. Both were found near the trailer, dead. Their head injuries were so extensive that it was necessary to use fingerprints and dental records to identify the two. Stephen had only jeans on and was found outside the trailer. Melissa was found nude inside the trailer in the booth of the dining table. Stephen was just 21 years old and worked as a mechanic on the ranch. Melissa was only 16 years old and worked as a horse groomer. Rita Ham lived next door to the ranch. Jeff Ellingsworth knocked on her door and told her something had happened, so she came out to see what was going on. Years after the incident, Rita said, quote, I knew from this moment on that this would be a scene I could never get out of my mind. Authorities believed it was a homicide right away. They estimated that the victims died sometime the night before or early that morning on March 3rd. They immediately got on the case and seemed confident in finding who caused these tragedies. However, they quickly ran into some roadblocks. For example, let's go back to Rita Ham. Again, Rita lives next door with her husband and their two-year-old. They return to their house at about 9.45 p.m. on Wednesday. Their bedroom faces the ranch property and is about 200 yards from where the bodies were found. According to the Des Moines Register, she said, quote, It was very strange. I sleep very lightly and I didn't hear a thing. The Des Moines Register also said Ham has a pet dog, Buster, who normally barks at the slightest sound or strange movement, but he was silent Wednesday night. So three months goes by and authorities still don't have any leads. Jasper County Sheriff Alan Wheeler said, quote, My feelings are that it's a tough cookie. It's frustrating insofar as the lack of evidence and the dead ends we run into. It's time-consuming. People expect something, and we certainly can use the cooperation of the public if anybody knows something. Unquote. At this point, a weapon hadn't been found. Robbery didn't seem to be a motive either. Many members of the community were looking for updates on this case. Thelma Fisher, Stephen's mother, said, quote, I keep hoping every night that I'll come home and the telephone will ring, and it will be the police telling me they have what they need and they are going to make an arrest. Ida Reynolds, Melissa's mother, said, All I know is they are still on the case. They come and tell me that sometimes, and they have something they're not telling us. But I'd rather have it that way because then I can't say something to anyone that would hurt the case. I feel they are probably doing their best. I can't really holler about it. I feel they will solve it. Terry Fisher, Stephen's ex-wife, who was 23 at the time, said, quote, I think they are hiding something. They know more than they are telling. Something funny is going on. It's too hush-hush. Officers said during the months of investigation, they had talked to between 50 and 100 people about the murders. There were two big theories that circulated the town around this time. The first one was that it was a drug-related crime. The owner of the ranch, Hal Snedeker, was rumored, and then later confirmed, to be distributing drugs from his ranch. He distributed both marijuana and cocaine, and Stephen had gone on a couple of those drug runs. One theory authorities were looking into was whether one of the drug dealers or gangs he distributed to wanted to send a message by murdering one of Hal's drivers. 
The other theory that many people had, along with authorities, was that Terry Fisher, Stephen's ex-wife, was bitter about the breakup and got revenge on Stephen and his new girlfriend by murdering them. Terry Fisher shows up throughout this story, and she remarries, so sometimes she's referred to as Terry Fisher, and sometimes she's referred to as Terry Sapino. To be clear, they weren't actually divorced at the time of Stephen's death. They were separated and had two children together who lived with Terry. Melissa was a relatively new girlfriend. Because the murders were so violent and gruesome, authorities thought this either had to be a crime of passion or someone trying to send a message. According to the Des Moines Register, on March of 1985, an anonymous donor added $2,000 to the reward fund for information about the murders. The total was then $3,875 for any information. However, that doesn't work either. Five years go by, and then the authorities hire an outside expert, and they hope to, quote, tap new laser technology in a search for clues in unsolved double killings. The expert's name was Herbert McDonnell of Corning, New York, and he was an expert in analyzing crime scene evidence. Authorities were planning to use the lasers to look for traces of fingerprints and blood stains on evidence. The expert was also hoping to get an updated psychological profile of the likely killer or killers. Right around the same time, there was a court hearing, and Agent Larry Gopel of the Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation said that Terry had been a suspect throughout the investigation. According to the Des Moines Register, he also said there had been domestic problems between the Fishers. No charges had been filed against Terry at this time. Nothing comes out of the out-of-town expert, and over 20 years go by. Then, a documentary comes to Newton, and they try to investigate the Copper Dollar Ranch murders. So a quick note. This documentary is currently on YouTube. It's called Cold Justice. It is a pretty typical true crime documentary series where they try to solve cold cases. Uh, we did not use any of the documentary as a source in this episode. The Des Moines Register reported that they offered more than 40 years of homicide investigation experience, equipment, and technology and had successful prosecutions of numerous cold case homicides. However, I personally watched it and feel like I don't quite trust their process or maybe their angle, so we just decided to avoid it altogether, not use any of that material as a source. You are more than welcome to watch it and form your own opinion on it. So this documentary series comes in and authorities gather enough evidence to arrest Terry Sapino. So they do. And at this point, it has been 31 years since the murder and 31 years of investigating. Terry was 53 years old at this point and had moved to Altoona about six years prior. The trial was set for June 2014. So let's dig into that. The case moved to Blackhawk County because of publicity. There were 10 women and 4 men on the jury. Assistant Jasper County Attorney Scott Nicholson represented the prosecution team. In his opening statement, he said that during the trial, the jury would hear the testimony from over 30 witnesses. They will hear about Stephen's affair with Melissa, and they will even hear about how Terry went to Stephen's trailer that night trying to track him down. According to The Courier... A Dr. Jonathan Thompson reviewed the autopsy reports and photos made nearly 32 years ago. The courier said, while Thompson testified he would have conducted the investigation differently, he said he could still draw legitimate conclusions from the available material. For example, Stephen and Melissa both suffered multiple chop wounds to their heads and faces. Stephen was hit at least 14 times in the head and showed signs of blunt force and sharp edge injury. 
Stephen's skull and sternum were both fractured. Melissa was struck in the face at least 13 times and had facial fractures. Her nose had been punched in, possibly by a hammer. Toxicology tests revealed no drugs or alcohol in either of the bodies, and some of Melissa's wounds indicated the killer was using their left hand. Some witnesses testified that Terry said she was ambidextrous and played fast-pitch softball as a pitcher. She threw with her left hand. According to Melissa Gregory's siblings' testimony, Sapino had shown up late at night looking for her husband so the couple could talk. Scott Gregory said he answered the door. Lisa Gregory testified their mother got in an argument with Sapino. She said, quote, Terry had called my mom a bitch, and my sister flew down the stairs and they started fighting. Melissa was on top of her, hitting her. Michael Schmidt, a criminologist with the Division of Criminal Investigation, said that Sapino's DNA was not found on any items tested from the crime scene. Prosecutor Scott Nicholson later returned to the topic, asking how often the perpetrator's blood or DNA is found at crime scenes. Schmidt said, of the 100 cases he has investigated, many did not yield the suspect's DNA. Allison Simmons, a prosecution witness, said she heard Sapino in 2001 admit to killing her husband. On a recording from a phone conversation with her twin brother, Tim Sapino, she later said the same thing, quote, I killed Steve Fisher, I didn't kill anyone else. Jasper County Jail officials recorded the conversation after her arrest. Sapino said the comment, quote, was taken out of context. We were talking about death in the towers, referring to the 9-11 attacks and how people had gotten killed, Simmons said. She said, yep, my brother and I killed someone, Simmons testified. Another of the state's witnesses, Tyron Jordan, also testified about one of Sapino's statements. Terry is the grandmother to Tyron's children. When Tyron's vehicle broke down in 2005, Terry gave Tyron and his family a ride, but she was, quote, agitated and got into an argument with Whitney Wilcox, the children's mother. According to Jordan's testimony, he tried to intervene, but drew a strong rebuke from Sapino. quote, I got away with murder once, and I can get away with it again, he recalled Sapino saying. Paul Kish, a bloodstained pattern analyst based in Corning, New York, testified that handedness, left or right-handed, cannot be determined from bloodstained patterns. One of the main points stated in the trial was that Terry was an 80-pound woman at the time, and she would be up against two people, one of whom was fairly built. It would have to take a lot of strength to take down two people. After 10 days of testimony and just six hours of deliberation, the jury found Terry Sapino not guilty of murdering Stephen Fisher and Melissa Gregory. In 2017, Terry filed a defamation lawsuit against the county sheriff and prosecutor. That same year, U.S. District Judge Rebecca Goodgame Ebinger reviewed the case and ruled that Terry's defamation claims lacked adequate legal basis. She said that under the U.S. Constitution, she can't sue for, quote, reputational harms. So Melissa Gregory is buried in Greencastle Cemetery in Jasper County. Stephen Fisher is buried in Newton Union Cemetery in Jasper County. Their case remains unsolved to this day. Excited to talk to Taps about this one because I have a lot of questions. You ready to do that? Let's do it. Hey, Taps. Thanks for joining. Hello. You ready for season three? Not really. Same. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're doing it anyway. There you go. We're kicking off with Jasper County. Our first question is always, have you been? 
many, many, many times. What's your favorite thing about it? I drove a bicycle around the Iowa Speedway on the track. We had fun. Did you win the race? <laughs> no, I was the only. I was the only guy doing it. Oh, so yes. Yeah. And did you know that Newton is home of Maytag? We did. We yeah. We talked about that earlier. In this episode, they said an investigator came in to use lasers to try and find evidence. We were wondering if that was a real thing. I don't know if they used them to find evidence. Usually, they use lasers to do measurements inside the crime scene. You see it more in traffic accidents than you do in criminal cases, but they they provide exact measurements between points. A thing like Total, it's called Total Station, and there's some other proprietary brands out there that do that stuff. So then does the crime scene look like, like a James Bond movie where everything is lasered up? No. They shoot, <laughs> That's what I was imagining. They shoot the lasers between points and get measurements. Okay. Did they do it when they reopened the case or because they wouldn't have had them in 80 whenever the crime occurred? No, they said they brought in a guy from outside of Iowa to tap into new laser technology. Hmm. Yeah, unless it's something I don't know about, but the only time I've ever seen them used is for measurement. Next question. And I think we've chatted about this a little bit before, but is it true that handedness, like so talking about left hand or right hand? cannot be determined from blood stain patterns? It can be, but not conclusively or all the time. Sometimes it's fairly obvious that it's from a right-handed person or a left-handed person by the way the body's been struck and where the defense wounds are on the victim. But it's not conclusive. And sometimes you can't tell depending on how the body was approached. I got to believe in this case, somebody snuck up behind one of them. I think they were killed at two separate times and somebody snuck up behind the first one. So I don't know if you could have told from the evidence. What makes you think they were killed at two separate times? I think two people killed at once is very difficult for one suspect when they're killed in this manner. You know, if it's a gunshot wound, that's a different deal. But when they're bludgeoned to death, you would think that somebody would have fought back. And obviously the... Reported suspect has been exonerated, but if it was somebody, a female or smaller stature or whatever, you would have thought somebody would have fought. Yeah. How do victims' families tend to react when the investigation reappears after such a long period of time? To me, it seems like they they become victimized again because they have to relive the whole episode. And but they also want justice. Most people want closure and justice on a case. So there had to be some some satisfaction, at least, that they were trying to go down and grab somebody for it. Have you ever worked a case where the family was just like, I've been through enough, I don't want to keep reliving it? I don't see that so much on reopened cases as I do on plea agreements on people. Many times you will get victims' families that will agree to a plea agreement because they don't want to relive it in court or don't want to have to face the suspect in court. So none of the news articles were super clear. So what do you think authorities found in 2014 that led to Supino's arrest? Hey, that's very confusing to me because you would have believed if it was DNA, the prosecutor would have had enough to go to the jury to get a conviction. So I just don't know if, if she made some statements or if they just re-examine the evidence, I got to believe she was a suspect initially, but they just couldn't get enough evidence. If it was your case, what would you have done differently? I don't know, because I, 
I guess there's not enough in the public sphere to make a lot of dis distinctions about how the case was worked or what happened in it. The fact that the bodies were mutilated fairly badly and the method of death indicates to me somebody that had a very strong passion to kill these two people, which of course would have made a purported ex to be a strong suspect in the case. But I just don't know what the evidence, if they just didn't, you know, was a murder weapon found or prints taken off the murder weapon? Did they re-DNA the, I assume it's a pipe or something that they, they were bludgeoned with? I don't know. There just isn't a lot of stuff in the public sphere about it. What would have Sapino had to do or claim differently to submit a successful defamation lawsuit? Against the authorities? Very difficult to do. First of all, the judges and the prosecutor have sovereign immunity, so you wouldn't be able to do anything with those folks. And I, I would guess if the police were acting in good faith, it would just be extremely difficult. Those are hard lawsuits, even in the best of circumstances for a plaintiff. So it, it's just not, it would be very difficult for somebody to bring that to them. The system has a procedure and it's called a trial and she was found not guilty at trial. So that's the conclusion of the case. Right. I think, I mean, we've kind of touched on it, but just wrap up. What's your theory on what happened? Well, I don't, obviously the police and the prosecutor believe the case is closed. So I think they believe that she was the suspect. Obviously in this country, if you're not found guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, the case is not closed. It's, it's open. And I think that's why the prosecutor laid that little addendum at the end about how they would accept new evidence. But the problem in our system, and it's not a problem, it's just the way our system works. They got one bite at the apple. And so they tried her on the evidence they had, and she was exonerated. So they will never be able to bring her to trial again. All right. Well, that wraps it up. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Good evening. Oh, hello there. As a marketer, I hate promotions like this. Same and same. But... I love content. Me too. So if you like our content, give us a like, follow, share, subscribe, note, fax, literally anything you think would help us continue making Daiwa a success. Thank you, thank you, thank you.